It's six minutes after the hour in Rocky Mountain West, and this is the Around the House program. Good afternoon. Good to have you with us here on the show. You hope, we hope you'll stick around for a couple of hours to talk about that special place that you and I call home. I'm Ken Moon, and by the way, we have a special guest today. I want to make sure, you know, our buddy John Creddy is coming in. John is our gardening with an altitude guy, just an expert in the horticultural fields, and John's with us every so often and just a great guest. And so you have some lawn and garden questions about winter gardening, getting ready for the uh, inevitable spring season. We can talk to John about that. He also has his, his Christmas tree preservation recipe. If you get a real tree at your house, then he's got the, just the recipe to keep that tree alive. We'll talk about poinsettias. There's lots of rumors that they poison for animals. And we'll go through some of that stuff and have some fun with John at uh, at the uh, in the second hour, but in the meantime, it's open lines here at the Around the House show. So we're glad you're with us. I'm back from Thanksgiving vacation. Picked up my wintertime head cold. I guess it is. I I had a I did a couple of at home COVID tests. Came back negative. So I'm grateful for that. But you know, I went. I was telling Chris and Matt. You know, we with all the COVID preoccupation, we forget that there are still our head colds. People get chest colds and flu in the winter time and so i think i'm one of them now and that's just the way it goes but those covid te- i never hadn't done one before an at-home covid test the, the folks the staff at walgreens said they're pretty accurate uh, and so i took their word for it. it was 25 bucks for a box of two tests but it's not that difficult and the good news is the swab doesn't i don't want to get too you know graphic here but Man, when when the the doctor's office uses what a four foot swab, something like that, whatever it is, and uh, this is just a little, you know, it's a regular swab, but you only go up three quarters of an inch, which I was grateful for. So anyway, uh, that's did my COVID testing, and I'm just have the crud. So uh, if I'll try to struggle through without doing too much coughing or hacking uh, this afternoon. Here's I want to start. This is cool because. We've talked, and there's lots of lists, and I've got some more. might even use them next week. How to tell if you're a redneck. You know, rednecks, folks down south, uh, you know, you go to a family reunion to pick up chicks. All those jokes about rednecks, right? Well, there's a blue neck list. You may not be available. Now, blue neck is a northerner, right? A Yankee, if you will, probably more specifically from the northeastern part of the country. And so I have a blue neck list you might enjoy here since we've done so many of the redneck lists. Okay, here we go. Number one, you might be a blue neck if you think barbecue is a verb meaning to cook outside, right? If you think Heinz ketchup is really pretty spicy. If you don't have any problems pronouncing Worcestershire sauce correctly, you may be a blue neck. If for breakfast you would prefer potato au gratin to grits, no no thanks, no thanks. You have never ever eaten okra fried or boiled. Oh yeah, I'm not a big okra fan. If you eat fried chicken with a knife and fork, you're sure a blue neck, no doubt about that. If you don't have any idea what a polecat is, you know what a polecat is? Chris, do you know what it is? Yeah, it's a skunk, right? Yeah, yeah. there you go. In Western uh, Western uh, um, shoot-em-up movies, uh, and the ones before the, uh, you know, while the Hollywood code was still in effect, call a guy a polecat scum or something that was as bad as... Here we get. Now, those days are long gone, aren't they? You might be a blue neck if you don't see anything wrong with putting a sweater on a poodle. <laughs> That's. You would rather have your son become a lawyer than grow up to get his own TV fishing show. You might be a blue neck. 
Instead of referring to two or more people as y'all, you call them you guys, even if both of them are women. Yeah, that's irritating, isn't it? Uh, a lot of waiters and waitresses use you guys, and I just it, it makes me makes my uh, teeth itch. Uh, you might be a blue neck if you've never planned your summer vacation around a gun and knife show. I get that. Or if you think more money should go to important scientific research at your university than to pay the head football coach's salary, you might be a blue neck. Uh, you might be a blue neck if you don't have any hats in your closet that advertise feed stores. Or if you call binoculars opera glasses. Oh, yeah. You might be a blue neck if you can't spit out the car window without pulling over to the side of the road and stopping. Or if you don't know anyone with at least two first names like Joe Bob, Faye Ellen, Billy May, Mar Mary Joe, Bubba, Bubba Dean, Joe Dan, Mary Alice, you, you may be a blue, uh, a blue neck. A couple more of these. You might be a blue neck if you can do your laundry without quarters. I like that one. And finally, if none of your fur coats is homemade, you might be a, a blue neck. I get that. Okay. I thought you might enjoy that. Okay, phone number 719-473-1240. We'd love to kick things around with you today. If you want to check in with us, uh, that would be great. And uh, what's on whatever's on your mind, we can uh, kick things around if you would, if you would like. Uh, oh, yeah, here's something interesting, which uh, I I thought to cheer you up a little bit. You know, these days the sun goes down so early. Well, I was I checked my Abbott app in my iPhone called a Sunrise Sunset app, which is really cool because it day by day, or you can go ahead or scroll backwards, it gives you the total length of the day and when the sun rises and sets here uh, at our latitude. And I looked, and we're at 4.38 p.m. The sun goes down officially. Now, with the mountains, it the sun disappears about 15 minutes ahead of that. But the average... They calculated this on the average horizon and all that stuff. Okay, so 4.38 p.m. I was looking ahead, and that's as early, that's as late as it gets. It stays at 4.38 for about two, two and a half weeks, and then creeps to 4.39, 4.40, and so on. So the sun going down today is as late as it's going to go down this winter. Uh, and uh, uh, my app says 4.38 today, so... Uh, yeah, yours says 437. Well, I I prefer mine anyway. So so what happens is, uh, is interesting part of this is that the sunset time stays the same now until oh, the third or fourth week in December, but the morning sun comes up later and later. So the length of the day, it's kind of complicated. The tilt of the Earth's axis, and there's a lot of what we used to call perturbations in the when I was in, in space business in, in the Air Force. So it isn't an equal, you know, sunset, um, we lose a minute, uh, morning, we gain a minute kind of idea. So the sun is going down now uh, as uh, as late as it, uh, I'm sorry, as, as early as it's going to, uh, going to go down. Am I saying that right? Sun goes down, it's not going to get any, uh, uh, it, the sun, sunset's not going to get any worse than it is now, let's put it that way, uh, this season. So in the morning we still lose light, but that's okay. The length of the day is what matters, and I. But I like the the evening sunset. I don't want it, the sun to go down uh, any uh, any earlier than it is. I don't know about you, but anyway, just thought you'd like to know that a little factoid that might make you feel better. So in about three weeks, give or take two and a half weeks, it'll start getting uh, it'll start going down later and later, which is a good thing, right? So that's our astronomy lesson to, to, to for today, boys and girls. 
It's uh, coming up to 14 minutes after the hour. Real quick here, before we go to a break, this is an interesting email from Linda. Are there any reliable kits to check for mold in the air in my home? That's a good question, but I wouldn't. Uh, I don't. <clears throat> I don't know of any uh, that are available to the homeowner. I think there. You probably can find them online someplace. But I wouldn't bother. I guess the point is, mold testing is a, is problematic and not reliable. Uh, because mold spore colonies move from here to there. So you may have a concentration in one corner of the room near the washing machine and maybe the other corner of the room. You So there's a lot of false positives and negatives, actually, testing mold. So the bottom line, Linda, is mold you can't see has little, if any, effect on your indoor air environment. All houses have a little mold here and there under the floors uh, of bathrooms or hidden in the walls of behind toilets and laundry rooms and sinks and so on. If your plumbing doesn't leak, if you don't have any wet spots around your uh, laundry, around your bathrooms, and keep things clean and fresh around the water heater and the lavatories and so on, you'll keep mold at bay. And if you don't see it, you're not breathing it. Uh, and, you know, you in the popular media, you'd think that 80% of people have mold allergies. The truth is it's about 15% of the population have have mold allergies so it's not as much as you think um deadly mold we we're, we talk about the dreaded m word is kind of overhyped as many things are in our culture uh if um you know there's mold everywhere if you leave bread on the counter you know it turns blue or bluish green if you bring strawberries home from king supers if it's an older uh, lug of strawberries you may look underneath and see a little mold on the uh, not not picking on King Supers here, but it's just a common thing uh, to have around because mold is everywhere and you're breathing it in and out all the time. So keep the dampness, the humidity low in your house. Remember, to, you have to vent your bath fans and clothes dryers outdoors. They can't vent into inside spaces. So if you can't see any mold, I would not worry, Linda, about testing it. You could hire a mold testing company. To do that, but you don't want to get in anybody's database, which might work its way into your homeowner's uh, insurance database because there is a statewide database about uh, problems with the homeowner's insurance and things. You don't want to get the M word associated with your address. So mold testing, not very reliable. Uh, and, and people that want to sell you mold testing and then mold mitigation generally are in it for the money. Surprise, surprise, right? So I thought uh, that's a good question, Linda. I hope I was able to help you with that it's 17 after the hour time for a break we'll be right back with uh, more on around the house of this week's email with some great emails and john creddy in the second hour we'll be right back well i had my buddy ed from above the rest garage doors come out uh, and service my garage door i think i may have told you this a couple weeks ago and i joined the premier membership program of above the rest it's surprisingly inexpensive so Ed himself came out, not one of his staff. I was really pleased about that. And he looked around, lubricated, checked the tension in the springs and tightened some nuts and bolts and did all the things he needs to do. And he gave me a clean bill of health, which I was glad for. And he'll come back in six months and do the same thing again. That's a, that's what you get when you would join the uh, premier membership program of Above the Rest. Twice a year call for a tune-up. And if you do join, you, they'll waive the 150 trip fee if you have an emergency or they need to come out like right away. So give them a call at 
0491-719-499-0491, Above the Rest Garage Door Company. Ask about the premier membership program that I'm in, and I think you'll be gratified, and your door will be also above the rest. Give them a call. From your closet to your furnace and everywhere in between, Ken Moon has solutions around the house. Give him a call now at 719-473-1240. That's 719-473-1240. Welcome back to the program. It's 21 minutes after the hour. John Creddy is going to be here at the beginning of the second hour. I always enjoy John's uh, visits. He's a prolific author. You can go to the Amazon.com website or, or other places, too, and find uh, John's book, C-R-E-T-T-I. He's really a prolific author and good friend of mine for about you know, about almost 30 years now. So he's a great guest. And if you have some lawn and garden issues or even houseplant questions, critters, yeah, you might have some fruit flies or little gnats or something around your house plants, and we can talk, we talk about it. He, do, he does it all. So we'll talk to John at the beginning of the second hour. Uh, Judy says we <clears throat> had a basement flood a couple of years ago. From a broken washing machine hose, what do you recommend to prevent this in the future? Well, that's, yeah, this is, we've talked about this uh, before. Theoretically, Judy, and I'm guilty as everybody, in theory, you're supposed to turn off the washing machine faucets when you're done with doing a wash, the hot and cold. Nobody does it. I don't do it. And I have to admit that, but that would be the foolproof way, of course. And, uh, and, uh, but uh, again, if, second best and this would this works pretty well make sure you have braided steel hoses these are regular rubber hoses braided with a metal protective kind of a weave uh in, in a braid kind of a crisscross uh pattern kind of thing and that will make sure that we don't get no bursting in those hoses uh so that's that's the first thing you can get a bag I've, you know i've got uh, my at lowe's it's a bag with two hoses inside, the braided hoses, and one of them has a, a red stripe around it and one a blue, so you can keep the hot and cold segregated when you hook things up so you don't get them crisscrossed and so on. So get your braided hoses, that's for sure. And also, and I've talked about this before, and it's worth repeating about a water alarm. A water alarm behind your washing machine will let you know early that there's a leak or some kind of problem, especially... If you're not home, because you can get them that will tie into your cell phone, and uh, it's a little it's a little gizmo about the size of a uh, of a computer mouse that sits on the floor, and it senses when there's water. Now you can get them with a, a solenoid valve system where, if the water is detected by the the little sensor, the valves will snap shut like you turn them off yourself, and that prevents. Uh, excessive leaking and flooding and so on these are vital something some kind of protection if your washing machine is on the second floor because if there's a leak of course that can be cause massive damage downstairs in the living room or the dining room or the sheetrock ceiling can depends how much water of course if you're not home which is usually the case when this kind of thing uh, happens uh, the ceiling can collapse down there downstairs and just cause all kinds of damage, whether it's insured or not is the beside the point because it's such a hassle for you to clean up and deal with and so on. So those water alarm uh, solenoid valve systems, uh, they're around, you know, the last time I looked, I think it was maybe 130, 140, something like that uh, at Amazon. 
there's a place called thewateralarm.com you can go to. But having a, a water alarm and solenoid valve system behind your washing machine, especially if it's on an upper floor of your house, is a big deal. Now, there are other places to put water alarms, which, again, we've discussed before a little bit, and that is in places that you don't go into a lot, like, say, a crawl space. People don't go into their crawl spaces any more than they have to. And if there's some kind of water leak down there, you want to know about it early rather than later. And so uh, you can put, uh, in the summertime, of course, the air conditioner uh, down there uh, produces lots of moisture. And if your furnace is in the crawl space, then there's a, a little pump that gets the moisture from the AC outdoors. And if the pump fails, then you're going to get a puddle of water in the crawl space. Or you have a groundwater issue around your house or the one of the downspouts is leaking that sort of thing you want to know about it because you don't go in there and you won't know it until the crawl space uh there's a lot of damage in there a lot of extra water that leaks in another place is your sump pump if you have a sump pump that runs uh, more than you'd like it to you can hang a water alarm in the sump pump pit and if the water level rises again you'll be notified of it so you can put a water alarm and they're not very expensive by the way the local ones they have a nine volt battery and they give off a loud screeching tone if there's water detected you could put it around the floor drain in your in your basement or around the water heater as i say a crawl space sump pump any place that you want to know early rather than later that there's water there now you can find water alarms that will tie in through the wi-fi into your into your wi-fi system and call your cell phone those are very handy uh, as a matter of fact uh, speaking of sensors and calling your cell phone if you uh, are a snowbird and go away from your house for two or three months you want to know if the temperature is getting too low in your house to risk a uh, to risk of a freeze up of the pipes you can also get a, a, f- a freezing or a low temperature alarm that'll call your cell phone so thanks to technology and wi-fi technology particularly there's lots of ways to be notified that there's some issues in your house but water alarms are helpful now in your crawl space around the water heater the floor drain in the utility room you don't necessarily need a cell phone notification if there's issues there but it, it's nice to hear that screeching howling alarm uh, uh, as as water accumulates in those spaces so you can do something about it uh, mine is interesting and i've owned this for a long you know quite a while i have uh, two water alarms i have one tied into my alarm system i have a simply safe alarm system well i bought one of their water sensors so if there's water down there they will call me i also have a local one with a nine volt battery i got it i think i got it at amazon and it screeches out an sos uh symbol in the uh, the alarm it it's a howling screech that goes you know dot 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 you know that's the sos morse code symbol three dots three dashes three dots and it does that which is kind of irritating but it got it gets my attention uh this has happened once i tell you when it happened i have a humidifier right there next to the water heater and the humidifier hose started to leak and so i got a call from simply safe and i got a screechy uh, sos signal from my water sensor because there was just water around you want to know it as i say sooner rather than later and particularly if you have an older home that has sewer issues sometimes you'll get a backup when you're least expected and the first place that backup usually shows when there's a sewer issue at your house is through that basement floor drain because that's the low spot in the house so 
uh, a water alarm near that floor drain is a, is a good idea. Our phone number is 719-473-1240. We would be delighted to uh, to hear from you today if you want to give us a call. And we have live email at aroundthehouse.com. Just go to the aroundthehouse.com website, second button from the left, and I'll see your email right here in the studio. So I'd love to hear from you today, whatever's going on around your house as we begin the Christmas season 2022. Don't forget John Creddy in our second hour to talk about, we'll talk about Christmas trees and other things relating to the season and also how to get ready for spring gardening. Get you get you uh, pumped up a little bit about the fact that spring is coming and we're glad, we're glad of that, aren't we? Uh, although our winters aren't as rough as they used to be the cold temperatures, I hope you're all squared away with your crawl space vents and attic vents and that your house is protected. The hoses are disconnected. That's a big deal when it gets cold like it's been. You don't want those houses to freeze up and cause a leak inside the house. So I know you're probably ready for the cold weather and the seasons changing and Christmas as we celebrate the holidays 2022. Our phone number is 719-473-1240 and we'll be back with your phone calls and more of this week's email right after this right here on Around the House. I want to talk to you about Petroli Roofing. These are my friends. have been a longtime sponsor of the program. They have this winter prep package uh, they're offering again this year, which is a good deal because it's only $199, and that includes a 21-point roof inspection and up to 200 feet of gutter cleaning. You know, your gutters, if you haven't had them looked at yet, the downspouts and the gutters are probably full of crud and junk and, and pine needles and, and twigs and so on, not to mention leaves from the deciduous trees. you got to get those cleaned out because even in the wintertime, we rely on our gutters. So the 21-point roof inspection and the 200 feet of gutter cleaning is available for only $199 from Petroli Roofing. Now, the thing is, you know, you don't think about roofs. Maybe you think about them more in the summertime when there's hail around. But you might have damage up there you're not aware of. And if you do, they'll help you with any insurance claim you might need. So give Petroli a call, 719-375-8773, or PetroliRoofing.com. From your roof to your foundation and everywhere in between, Ken Moon has solutions around the house. Give him a call now at 719-473-1240. That's 719-473-1240. Welcome back to the program, 25 minutes before the hour on the Around the House program. We're here at the uh, KRDO studios in the Springs. We also, uh, you know, we have AM and FM here, and also our buddies up there in Casper, KTWO carries the program. Hello to all of our friends in Casper, 50,000-watt K2 up there, the voice, you know, kind of Wyoming's radio station, we call it, and we're so glad you're, you're, you're with us. I have lots of friends up there in Casper. So top of the season, happy holidays, Merry Christmas to everybody as we begin another. It seems they come quicker every year, but I say that every year, so, you know, that I guess they don't. <laughs> it's the same time. It just seems like it just is upon us before we, before we know it, right? Uh, Betty says she's in a sticky situation. Uh, she painted her kitchen cabinets with semi-gloss latex. Now the doors stick when we open them and the paint pulls off. What should we do? That's a, you know, I, I see, see the point. Pardon me. I've got a little, a little indigestion thing there going. Forgive me. I uh, will try to use the cough button from now on or leave, leave town. One of the two anyway. So, Okay, Betty, here we go back to your situation. Forgive me. I hope I didn't 
that I've come across on, on the air. Um, are you sure you're allowed to paint dry? That's the thing. You, before you do anything that, that with whether it's big doors, cabinet doors, little doors, you want to make sure you give paint 24 hours to dry. And more, if it's a little humid, uh, if it's a, a, maybe you have a humidifier in your house, you want to turn that off. 24 hours for sure. Uh, and uh, that's, you didn't do that apparently. But you can get a hair dryer set on low and kind of blow th- those doors and try to set the paint a little bit. Uh, and uh, if you did you pl- apply any of those sticky bumpers to the doors? You know, those little round, they're clear plastic. Uh, some come with cork facing on them, but they're bumpers that uh, help you to you know close the doors more quietly. That way, the only contact with the cabinet, instead of your paint-on-paint situation that you're having, Betty, just the two bumpers will contact the, the paint. And, heck, if, if they get a little sticky, you can just put a new bumper on. That's no big uh, no big deal. Uh, so, uh, you know, you might need to start over. You might need to get some mineral spirits or some goof off and wipe that paint off and, and sort of start over. But let that paint cure at least 24 hours before you do anything with it. But the bumpers will help. I know they will because if the paint's still a little sticky, what do you care? If the bumper pulls off, you just get another one and eventually it'll be dry enough. But that's kind of the story uh, with that. Let's see here. Uh, Ed has a sewer issue that he wants to talk about on on email here. By the way, our phone number is 719-473-1240. Ed says he has tree roots in a five-year-old sewer. Now, I'm my antenna just went up. Five-year-old sewer should have PVC glued joints, and there should be no ways for roots to get in that sewer. Uh, I don't know if you have a typical root issue or not, or if the pipe broke. You may have a cracked pipe. You may have an offset. Maybe one of the joints broke, a rock shifted or something. But you need to get a first thing is before we talk about the roots is to get a a sewer camera in that, you know, kind of a fiber optic sewer camera in there to see what's going on. It sounds like you may have, if you know you have root problems, I don't know what, if, if somebody, if it's a scam that happened to you that you were, people said, you know, you, they put a root cleaning scouring uh, device in there, uh, a ro- rotating scourer, and they say we pulled back roots. I wonder if you're being given the straight guinea here on your sewer or the way to find out is to run a fiber optic camera in there and see and look for roots if you have them then they need to stop in that location and see if there's a crack or a break or something like that it'll cost 150 bucks give or take to check that out with a with a camera you ask about (coughs) chemical treatments and the the chemical treatment you're probably talking about is the old copper sulfate crystals they're blue crystals you pour down the toilet just before you go to bed at night it's moderately effective but it's not a long-term thing because if you think about it when you flush those crystals down the toilet only about a third of the pipe is involved because that's the part that you know the usually a sewer pipe the four inch sewer pipe that leaves your house is never more than about a third full of 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 water of, of wastewater so the rest of the pipe doesn't get affected by that copper sulfate treatment. So if the roots are coming in the top, then you got to treat them where they come in, and that's with a with a uh, the, the sewer company can do a chemical foaming treatment. They put an expanding foam chemical in there that 
kind of expands into the pipe so the whole diameter of the pipe uh, gets treated with uh, the root cleaning or discouraging chemical. It's kind of a root repellent kind of chemical. But and I think you have more than just a typical sewer uh, root problem. In, in a newer sewer line like that, I think there's something, something else going on. Or you were given bad advice or you know you just weren't given the straight scoop on what's going on down there. So a fiber, active, uh, fiber optic TV camera would let you know what's going on with precision because they'll tell you, you know, they can tell you how many feet out from the house the problem is, and they can look at it and see if there's some kind of a of an issue there. That and in, in a house like yours that's relatively new, then they would probably just replace whatever. If the pipe is broken, it'll be broken like in one place. Instead of replacing the entire sewer line, they could just dig a hole where the where the break or the crack is, where the roots are coming in, if they really are coming in, and just fix that part of the pipe that's uh, dislocated or cracked or whatever. But a fiber optic TV camera is really a great idea for any older home. Now, yours five years old, not very old, but uh, it's good. It's like a colonoscopy for your house, if I can be, uh, if I can use that terminology. You just need to know what's going on in an older home. My house is. 40 something was 45 years old and uh and it's i've had a couple of sore issues that haven't cropped up for a while it's time for me to get a fiber optic tv camera in there so it's good to know what's going on particularly if the sore seems to slow down a little bit sometimes you get a little warning of something of an impending problem because the toilets don't flush as vigorously as they used to or you're getting you do a load of laundry and you some water backs up into the basement bathroom shower that's a typical sign that there's some issues with your sewer line that may need to be addressed and the way you do that you start with the fiber optic tv camera and then work your way into the problem okay so ed i want to know what's going on with you and it doesn't seem like a typical sewer issue in a five-year-old sewer so let's let's check that out with a tv uh tv camera i want to talk about the podcast of the program our podcast lead the pack around the station here we're very grateful for that and we hope you'll keep downloading and listening to the podcast you can access them of uh, all we have the shows going back to the first weekend in july uh, and i there is the last time i checked the old iheart versions of this program are still available uh, online going back to like 2015 but the latest and greatest podcasts going back about five months now uh, are available you can go to my website aroundthehouse.com and click on the listen button or go to krdo.com slash radio and there's a podcast section there and we're as i say very grateful that you're continuing to uh to download and listen to those podcasts they're available uh do they come chris are they downloaded in two segments for each hour of this one continuous show for that weekend okay so they're and with commercials taking out they're what's that Okay, we keep my live commercials in. So it's an hour and, 25. I was going to say an hour 20, an hour 25 minutes. Okay, very good. So we appreciate you doing that. Uh, and we will continue a couple of, within a couple hours after we go off the air. Chris will put today's show on. And uh, so thanks again for your listenership to the podcast. Remember, John Creddy in the second hour coming up in about 20 minutes or so, Gardening with an Altitude guy, we'll talk about uh, holiday decorations and house plans and getting ready for the spring gardening season maybe a little talk about pruning we'll do it all with john creddy in about 20 minutes right here on around the house
want to talk to you about your windows. What's the story with your windows? Are they old, ugly, uh, maybe from the 80s, wood windows or aluminum from the 70s or even steel windows, which were popular back in the 50s and 60s? Whatever you have in the way of old windows, you're wasting a lot of energy, up to 30% waste with a set of old windows. I want you to call Dutch's Home Improvement and get some new energy-efficient vinyl windows on your house. Dutch has been around over 30 years. I know you've heard their name before. They have the best installers in town, and they're really good at what they do. They carry, of course, windows, doors, siding, patio covers. But I want to talk to you about windows because natural gas prices are continuing to go up, and I'm sure you sense that on your utility bill. Windows, replacing your windows are one of the best ways to save energy because windows leak a lot of, of your precious and expensive heat out in the wintertime. So call Dutchess at 719-392-1369 or DutchessHomeImprovement.com. Get some new windows on your house. Need help with your next home project? Back to Around the House with Ken Moon. Give him a call now at 719-473-1240. That's 719-473-1240. Welcome back to the program. It's 11 minutes before uh, the hour on the Around the House program, 719-473-1240. That's our call-in number and live email at aroundthehouse.com. I've already got an email for John Creddy uh, that came in f- from one of our listeners. And, uh, again, that applies. You know, Just go to my site, click on the second button from the left. It says Email Ken, and I'll see it right here in the studio. Joan says, I'm thinking of installing a greenhouse kit at my house. Will I need heat out there? If so, what kind? Well, you'll need some supplemental heat. We get long, cold winter nights, as you probably know. Uh, So you need a little, you don't want to get that temperature too low in the greenhouse. I would think you don't want it to get much below about 50 or so. So I like electric heat because it's very zonable. That is, you can turn it on and off as you need to, and it uh, heats up in uh, in no time, uh, even a greenhouse. Uh, So... Yeah, and it's easy to get electric heat without gas piping, and it's a hassle to get out to a, a to a greenhouse addition on your house. But running a couple of 240-volt uh, wires out there for a couple of, uh, I don't know how big your greenhouse is, you didn't say, but a couple of uh, heat runs out there, like baseboard electric heat, would all you all you need to do. Uh, and uh, if, if I can make a recommendation here, Joan, if you haven't picked a location already... You might try to get the greenhouse as close to the electric panel as you can while still retaining that south exposure. Of course, you want a south exposure for any greenhouse to get that that passive solar energy from the sun uh, in the winter. But if you can get it close to the electric panel, that'll save you installation costs because the wire will be shorter and you get the idea. So, yeah, electric heat is a big deal. And, of course, in a greenhouse, and I'm sure you've already been talked to about this, uh, you need low E film on the windows, or insulated shades, or some kind of uh, awnings, or something that uh, in, interior shades would be a good idea, and or whatever you need to uh, to hold that heat in as best you can in those long winter nights. But electric heat is the way to go. Same thing as I would recommend in a garage situation, because uh, in a garage you you want to uh, you don't you don't want to just leave the garage. Maybe you have a workbench out there, want to spend some time out there. If you want extra heat in your garage, then electric heat is the way to go because usually you're close to the panel anyway. The electric panel in most homes is in the garage, and so that 
makes electric heat the way to go. Now, you, there's a couple of ways in a garage situation you can do. You can put the electric baseboard around the perimeter of the garage. You can also get a ceiling-mounted uh, electric heater with a fan in it, kind of like you would see in a tire shop, to blow warm air around that garage. And those really, they're up and out of the way, and they work really well, and they're not difficult to put in. You just tie it into a thermostat on the wall and set it whatever you want. Set it 45 or 50, and it'll keep it keep the keep the temps moderate out in your garage. I noticed uh, in my, I have an insulated and sheetrock garage, and I have an insulated door, a styrofoam insulated factory insulated door, garage door on my on my garage. And I've noticed that in the coldest winter nights, when it's down in the single digits, my garage never gets below about 42 or 43 degrees fahrenheit that's as cold as i've seen it because they're just you know you have you bring the car home and there's some heat in the engine block you know that and also because all garages have some sort of a common wall with the house and so there's some uh, inherent leakage of heat out of the house into the garage so yeah even when it's really cold outside i get i i don't get anywhere near 40 or below and i that's important to me because i was sinking my garage and you might also so yeah i mean if if you can stand 43 44 degrees fine if you want a little extra heat out there uh i, I think the electric heat is really the way to go gas natural gas of course is very uh, inexpensive to heat with in terms of versus electric heating but it's hard to get a gas pipe out there then you got to whatever the garage heater you have has to be a ceiling mounted heater because that's the way the code reads and so you have to get a flue pipe to run out of the roof it becomes really a hassle and an expense to get a gas uh, gas heat in a garage where as a couple of electric baseboard garage heaters really work pretty well to keep the chill off so that, thank you for that. I'm, I'm a long ways from the greenhouse question we had here, but it's the same idea. Thank you, Joan, for that question. Good luck with your greenhouse kit. And we can talk to John Creddy about that too, because greenhouses are really, you know, what's what's neat about a greenhouse is, of course, you can start plantings. Uh, you can grow plantings from seed starting in like February and have them all ready to go for the spring planting season just with passive solar in your greenhouse it'll head start on spring gardening by growing your own little uh, seedlings out there in the greenhouse it's a lot of fun to have one i everybody that has one that i know really enjoys it and it's a good way to kind of escape and, and get out there and do your thing but electric heat is a big deal in the wintertime and some kind of shade uh, shades that will close or and keep the heat in during the long winter nights five minutes before the hour chris says i have to when my garage door comes down i have to hold the button all the way down what's going on uh these usually these are complaints i get when the seasons change like in the spring and the fall but i guess anything's possible uh, because the sunlight of course uh can affect the sensors of your garage door and keep them from operating normally so if that's the case at your house, uh, first of all, you want to try to re-aim the sensors if you can to make sure that they're totally lined up with those little pilot lights you use. And also, if, uh, there is, if sunshine is impacting, you can put a piece of radiator hose on your sensors uh, to make sure they behave themselves. That's probably what's going on here. Some 
way the garage door remote sensors are not letting that go down without holding the button. That's a warning to you to get a service call uh, from the Above the Rest garage door uh, company here in Colorado Springs, my sponsor. Let's see here. I got a phone call from Steve on line one. Let's get Steve on the air before we go to our news break. Hey, what's going on, buddy? Hey, good afternoon, Ken. Hope you had a marvelous Thanksgiving, presumably. I, I did. With your fam. I did. In Kansas City, Mo, actually. Oh, well, Kansas City, not Phoenix. Okay. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, good question. Uh, they're doing an urban renewal project around our house, chopping up sidewalk, curb, and gutter, part of that 2C deal. And so the street's blocked off. Anyway, I was talking to Super yesterday, and I said, you know, I'm not really fond of pouring concrete in the dead of winter from a curing standpoint. The fact is it's probably going to crack earlier than later, which is pretty much all you got to know about concrete, every concrete guy I've talked to. And he says, well, we put thermal blankets on it. And I said, well, what about when you, you know you get a cold front goes through and it's 5 or 10 degrees outside? He says, well, it usually works. But, you know, we hear background with Kimmy and Builder Broker, et cetera. To me, it doesn't make sense to be pouring concrete when it's just cold. But what are your thoughts? Well, uh, yeah, when I used to pour, of course, it was a builder, poured foundations all the time. And, and there are, uh, you covering it with thermal blankets is good. Uh, but the, it's got to, the blankets have to stay on when it's, chilly like this at least a week because uh, there is some residual heat uh, from the chemical reaction of the concrete setting but it does tend to uh, that last the first two or three nights but it's the remaining you know five or six nights where there's still moisture in the concrete you want to protect from freezing you're right so if the blankets stay on a week or so you're probably uh, probably okay uh, and uh, and you're right it it's good to look at the calendar when you're going to pour concrete. The problem with the job, as you're describing, from a city street standpoint, is they haven't got as much control because they want to get the traffic back to normal and so on. But sure. uh, I would love a report back from you to see how long they keep the blankets on there. In my opinion, seven days for sure. That way the... Well, in, in talking to the supervisor yesterday, Kevin, the construction manager, yeah, uh, he said a week, and I said, well, most contractors tell me that it's two to three weeks, so we will see. Well, I, I said at least a week. Uh, two or three weeks is better, but they're not going to do that on a city job for sure. But you want to make sure that once that heat of reaction is gone, want to make sure there's a, a little blanketing going on to keep the moisture from freezing. You're right. A couple weeks would be better, but a week for sure. We'll be right back with John Creddy right uh, after the news. Stick around. after the hour welcome back to the part two of around the house good to have you with us in this christmas season i guess advent sunday was last sunday so i guess we're in the christmas season aren't we got a special guest uh who's an old friend of mine that uh, i know you enjoy listening to that's john creddy our gardening with an altitude expert john good afternoon how are you well good afternoon ken i'm doing well and uh trying to beat the cold weather here on the western slope and the wind has been kind of fierce over the past few days as well but yeah wind has been a big deal around here too right so anyway it is the holiday season so uh holiday greetings to you and everyone out there i hope you had a good thanksgiving uh and we're you know i say this every year christmas seems to come earlier every year it just kind of sneaks up on us but 
I'm, I've got a resolution going to get my, if the weather moderates, it'll get my outside lights uh, up uh, this week if I if I can. And uh, I just wanted to uh, say how grateful I was that you are, are going to be with us today for the next, uh, you know, chunk of this hour, hopefully the whole the whole hour. If you have a question for John on gardening, uh, just give us a call, 719-473-1240. He answers uh, anything on the, kind of like me, on the fly and really good at what he does. John's an old friend of mine, starting back in the early 90s, I guess, we first met each other. I think that was the old, was that the old show? Was it Green Thumb Gardening? Was that what you guys called yourself? That's what it was, the Green Thumb show, Green Thumb Gardener show. And then it uh, as, as things advanced uh, and we took on a new uh, genre uh, and my book writing, then it became gardening with an altitude sure. uh, when we went over to uh, another station. So, Same wonderful advice, though. You started, as I remember, at, at KOA in at, uh, 1980. Does that sound right, John? That's right. It, that was the time that I started. I was, uh, at that time, I was still working as an extension horticultural agent for Colorado State University and uh, took over a position that was, uh, a lot of you people may have heard of uh, Herb Gundell, who was a county extension oh, yes. uh, agent in Denver. And when he uh, retired, then I kind of fell in, into, into his shoes and started doing the uh, gardening show and uh, those types of you know duties of education for homeowners on uh, gardening, landscaping, uh, problem solving in the landscape. Now, Herb Herb had a radio show, right? That you, right? You slipped right into his uh, his slot, I guess, huh? That's right. That's exactly how yeah. that happened. And uh, boy, that kind of dates me a little bit. But I sure enjoyed that process. It was a, a fun time, and certainly Denver and Colorado Springs, the whole front range has grown since that time into. Uh, quite a metropolis with a lot of folks that have moved in. Uh, not familiar with some of the, the uh, plant selection here, so it, it's a learning process. But uh, beautiful, beautiful area to live in as uh, new homes go up. And, of course, now there's some restrictions, I understand, that will be taking place on uh, what folks can plant in the way of turf grasses. Yeah, I understand. Aurora... Uh, I I saw that they were they had passed an ordinance no more green, uh, you know Kentucky bluegrass with this is new homes existing homes, at least for now our fingers crossed will be exempt but these rules are coming for sure is that what you had heard also or is we have a statewide thing going now John I'm not aware of it but no I yeah I'm just referring to the uh, the Aurora uh, I think council. Uh, a city council had passed that they're not allowing new homes to put in um, just greenery in the front yard, which I think in part uh, has some disadvantages in increasing the heat buildup around a house. But, um, you know, I think they're allowed a certain amount in the backyard to have uh, turf grasses and ornamental grasses, I think, are allowed as well. But uh, you'll have to, you know, homeowners that live in that area will have to read uh, the fine print to see what is and what is not allowed. You know, the way bureau- bureaucracies operate, as you well know, I'm afraid that's going to lead to a whole bureaucratic system of inspections and specifications and drawings. And, you know, we think you need more more uh, uh, of a certain kind of planting uh, than you have, those kinds of things. I hate to see that evolve, but that's inevitably what bureaucrats 
uh, bureaucracies do. Let me ask you this, because I see this uh, around uh, Colorado Springs. We're oh, using artificial turf, like AstroTurf is one brand. Does AstroTurf, uh, does it, obviously it's not real grass, but does it tend to absorb heat or reflect heat? If people use that material, are there downsides to it, John? I've never asked you that before. Well, that's an interesting question, Ken. Uh, you know, with AstroTurf, you know that in athletic fields, when they do use it, uh, you n- need to be sure that there's a proper drainage underneath it so that uh, right. rainwater will soak through and get to adjacent plantings, say, that are around the AstroTurf, like your shrubbery or perennials or things of that nature. You might have ornamental plantings uh, around the landscape and AstroTurf as a defining area. But because it is a, a product made of plastic and rubber, it is one of those items that I think it's going to build up the heat uh, gradient around a home. Um, but again, it, it just all depends on how much is put in. Uh, and then it has to be maintained too. It, it, it's not going to uh, totally be maintained uh, maintenance free that is yes you'll have to go ahead and uh, you know blow leaves off or uh, hose it off every now and then and doing that kind of thing so there there are some disadvantages to it but i can understand where it does allow some greenery uh, as a kind of a transition zone in the front yard to around ornamental plantings i do know that they there are versions of uh, artificial turf uh, made for dog runs, where where the um, waste products kind of leak through the holes in the in the turf, and it makes a more of a, a less dusty and more comforting environment for uh, for dogs. But I don't know about people. If people like that that green grass, as you're right, because because it is a cooling environment around a house. But uh, things change, and it sounds to me like our future is going to be one of more xeriscaping, isn't it? It, it certainly does. It looks more like that. And that's fine. I think that if we do choose plants that are more xeric, that is plants that can withstand uh, less moisture and survive and still give us beauty, there are some uh, real good choices out there that people can select from and add to their landscape and still uh, you know, have an attractive uh, variety of plants around. Here's a question that came in from a, a Janie, one of our listeners who had to go to work. She couldn't call on the phone. But the question is very simple, John. Um, how do I kill an elm tree? So uh, I, I don't know if she's referring to one of those Siberian elms that are kind of a pesky tree in a way. They do provide shade, but they're uh, kind of messy and so on. Um, but any comments on how Janie can kill an elm tree? She didn't say how big it was, but uh, have at it if you can if you can help her. She's listening now, well, apparently. Okay. Well. Right. And Ken, again, and Janie, it it all depends on the size of the tree that we're talking about. Of course, the best way is to uh, cut it down, first of all. And if it's a large tree, you'll want to consult a professional tree service or arborist that can help get that done. Uh, And I'm assuming it is a Siberian or what we often hear as a Chinese elm. They are kind of messy trees when they grow because they do produce literally thousands uh, on thousands of seeds that grow in the cracks of the concrete and invade our flower beds. So it's not the most preferred shade tree in the landscape. It was originally brought in for a windbreak in the uh, plains regions, uh, but then it escaped into 
home landscapes and and becomes a what I call a messy tree. Now, once the tree is taken out, it, then the next step is is to grind the trunk out. Uh, there are tree stump removers or grinders that will take the trunk out, and then that kills the entire root system. There won't be any suckering then, and you can uh, even replant in that area when you add fresh soil where they remove the trunk. So that's how you would handle a large tree. If it's a small one, uh, you know, maybe no bigger than a couple of inches in diameter, you could just take a loppers, a pruning loppers, and cut it down to ground level, and then try to strip out as many of the roots as you can that are growing in a lawn area or a perennial bed. So that's the basic way to take care of those things. John, what about the old method of uh, drilling? You see this on lines and and just in terms of people talking about it, to drill into that stump and pour rock salt in there, is that sort of a waste of time? It it really is, Ken. It is an old uh, antiquated method of getting rid of a stump because it takes literally years for the salt to dissolve that bark. Uh, And there are even products, I still see them on uh, social media that claim to... uh, rot the stump or or make it dissolve but deteriorate yeah a lot of time in our yeah in our arid climate we're so uh, so arid the lack of humidity that this process really takes time so i really waste my time or money on those types of remedies uh, at this point okay Wait, are we still allowed politically correct to call it the old wives tale that's one of the hosts i guess that it makes sense theor- I guess that's right. right yeah theoretically that's it makes sense i guess point. but but you're talking about decades versus just grinding the thing out in an hour or so. And um, uh, my neighbor, by the way, rented a stump grinder. It was a noisy process. He claims he, you know, it it was no big deal. But it sounds to me like that's a job for a pro. Do you agree? I agree. I, I think uh, I didn't even know they rented a stump grinder for for homeowners, but I guess it's possible. But I think uh, because you know, the, the chopping action that goes on uh, with any kind of mechanical equipment like that. If you're not uh, able to do it, it's best to have a professional do it for you. We're talking to John Creddy, a gardening with an altitude guy, uh, a prolific author. If you want to see the great books with fabulous photographs and really down-to-earth, common-sense homeowner kind of advice about month-by-month gardening in the Rocky Mountains, uh, getting started gardening guy. You know, lots of folks come out here from, as I did, many decades ago from the East Coast. You're not used to having low humidity, low rainfall, lousy soil, and all the problems with Rocky Mountain gardening. John is a good resource, and you can go to Amazon.com. Just type in John's last name, C-R-E-T-T-I. You'll see all the great books. He even has has state-by-state gardening books uh, for the Rocky Mountain region. So we're talking to John. If you want to ask him a question, I want to get John to your Christmas tree uh, pres- preservative. We've talked about this many years in the past. And uh, we'll t- I want to talk about old wives' tales, speak of the, speaking of that, about poinsettia plants and other gardening, uh, other um, garnish, if you will, or uh, other ways that we celebrate the holidays with uh, evergreen boughs and all the other things that we use how to prevent uh, issues with them. And we'll talk about the holiday decorating with John and uh, house plants. If you want to talk about that or coming up spring gardening, we'll do all that with John Creddy after we take a break on around the house. 719-473-1240 is our phone number. We'll be right back right here on around the house. 
want to talk to you about my friends at Petrali Roofing. P-E-T-R-A-L-I. Petrali Roofing's been around uh, Springs for 40 years, give or take, and a reliable company. I always recommend Petroleum when people ask about roofs. Well, you don't think much about your roofs. It's eh, Hail's not here anymore because the summer's gone. But there may be damage up there you're not aware of. And I want you to get their 21-point roof inspection. Uh, they'll get up there and point out issues if there are any on your roof. And they have a package deal now including up to 200 feet of gutter cleaning and minor repairs to make sure your roof's ready for the rest of the remaining winter of winter season just beginning as you know it's priced very reasonably at 199 that would be a price for gutter cleaning alone in the normal scheme of things so get that 21 point winter prep roof uh, inspection package at Petroli. 199 includes 200 feet of gutter clean give them a call 719-375-8773 or petroliroofing.com Things break around the house. That's why there's the Around the House program with Ken Moon. Give him a call now at 719-473-1240. That's 719-473-1240. Welcome back to the program. It's 23 minutes after the hour. We have a caller named, uh, I think you said first name was Tanja, right, uh, Matt? Uh, And she said she sent me a message. I have not seen it come in. If you did it through Facebook, if you're still listening, uh, just go to aroundthehouse.com and click on Email Ken, and I'll see it right here in the studio in my normal email. So I'd like to kick things around via email. I know John would uh, welcome your question also. John, I want to finish up the conversation. It's interesting. I've been using the phrase Chinese elm for, I don't know, decades, I guess, for that kind of messy shade tree that drops a lot of twigs and branches and things and just a messy tree in general uh, and I ran into a tree guy on uh, that you know cuts and tr- prunes trees for a living he said I think you're talking about the Siberian elm that's the messy one Chinese elm is a different species and it's not as messy and more uh, desirable uh, I, is that right John if I've been using the wrong phraseology or are we do they do we all kind of mix things together when we're talking about those? Messy elm trees. Well, I, well, I think the, the the tree person you talk to is right. There, there is a misnomer, but most of us, most uh, uh, homeowners, we use that uh, term interchangeably. We, the, the tree that really is messy is the, the true Siberian elm. That's the one that gets the blame for all of those little seeds that come out in the uh, springtime, and then all the little shoots that grow up in the grass. The, the true Chinese elm, and we don't see many of the true Chinese elms in the metropolitan area along the Front Range, but that is a more dignified tree. It, it's more uh, vase-shaped, and it doesn't have that bunch of seed production that the Siberian elm has. But it's not as common to find, so you have to really search for it. Yeah. And because it's an elm tree, just remember that they require a lot of water to maintain. So it's, it's not a tree that I would recommend. But it is different. The Chinese elm is different from the Siberian elm. But most most folks around here uh, just use that term interchangeably. If you have a lawn or garden question for our buddy John Creddy, gardening with an altitude expert, just give us a call, 719-473-1240. As you know, I grew up in New England, and we had, when I was a kid, those magnificent American elms, which were just a beautiful tree that we, you know, we you get streets just had this beautiful canopy of American elms. And then that dreaded Dutch elm disease came in and it really did a number on them, didn't it? And I don't know if that's still around or not, 
but much of the elm population back in those parts of the country were devastated with with that disease. And that's true, Ken. The American elm did uh, succumb to Dutch elm disease, and it is still around, but not as uh, abundant. The trees that still survive, there are a few American elms that are still around uh, in the metropolitan areas that are fairly nice-shaped trees that developed, I guess, just a natural resistance to the problem. But uh, you do, we don't recommend them anymore as a tree species because of Dutch elm disease. It's kind of like the situation with, uh, you know, viruses that come and go with, with uh, human beings. It's a, kind of the same thing with plants. If one gets it and, and it's overplanted, then uh, these plants succumb to that. Now, we speaking of diseases, uh, and I don't want to put you on the spot here. I know you're not monitoring this constantly, but there is an ash tree disease around, an ash borer disease, right, that we have talked about off and on that the last time I checked, it was kind of prevalent up in the Golden Boulder County area. Do you want to talk about that just a little bit? Well, that's a good point, Ken. There is an ash borer. It's an insect that was introduced from the uh, eastern United States and came into Colorado that uh, was introduced and does damage the trees. So you'll begin to see in some, uh, especially the green ash species, and it does affect some of the white ash as well. But you'll, in the summertime, uh, late spring and summer, you'll see branches up in the tree that will start flagging or turning yellow and wilting, which may indicate that the ash borer, which is an insect that uh, tunnels into the trunk and uh, branches and then kills that and, and it affects the whole tree. But as of yet, I, I think it is still confined to the northern areas of Boulder and it's working down into Golden, Arvada. And there may have been some uh, indications that it's gotten into some of the uh, northern part of Denver. But you need to check with your local arborist if you have a local arborist in your, uh, say, area that can uh, update us on how that ash borer is becoming a problem. Many people spray uh, as a routine on larger trees. They will hire a tree service to spray for ash borers if they are within the vicinity of their neighborhood so that's something to think about uh, when you're acquiring a landscape or you know that you have green ash that might be in jeopardy chris uh, in the control room has a question about uh, barks using in xeriscape landscaping projects you know and here in the springs and i'm not sure if this applies to other cities as well uh, the forestry department just grinds up uh, and sells a mulch, which is kind of a oh, it's kind of a not a very pretty mulch. It consists of all the limbs and and bark that was were ground up and hauled to the uh, uh, to the pile in the forestry department. Is there a kind of bark that we want to use or not use in xeriscaping, or does it once it's ground up bark, does it matter all that much? Well, that's a very good point to keep in mind because you think about it uh, when people cut down trees that are infected with ash borer or, uh, say, the, the uh, Dutch elm disease, that those pieces of wood may still harbor the eggs or the overwintering adults of certain uh, pests. That you, that's why we don't want to keep that wood around. We, we either want to burn it right away or treat it and then cover it with a plastic tarp to uh, you know, fumigate any uh, insects that may overwinter in there. However, when it's ground up into a bark mulch, 
uh, it doesn't pose much of a threat because it's so well ground up that that shouldn't be an issue at all. It's just a matter of what kind of bark mulch you want to put around as far as decorative value. Yes. You can buy so many different kinds now. Some are treated with dyes so you can get different color variations, things like that. But I wouldn't worry about the mulch itself. It's more of the firewood that people keep around. Ah, okay. may be infected. So you're saying that with the ground-up mulch, uh, whatever larva or uh, whatever insects would be uh, destroyed by the grinding process, basically, is what you're saying? Right, exactly. Yeah. Well, there's a there's an, a, a rumor, a rumor, a story that uh, that pine beetle, uh, which has been a problem, as you know now, for thirty or forty years, uh, in uh, along the Front Range, uh, that those firewood that came down from <clears throat> Teller County into Colorado Springs brought pine beetle down with it, and uh, you know I don't know if that's been verified or not. So yeah, firewood is a way to get to get, um, uh, to get p- problems in our environment which we're maybe not prepared for i suppose and uh and so whatever firewood you buy need to be careful right that's right well especially stuff that you don't know where it came from because as i said it it may have been infected with insect pests that can overwinter in that wood so uh, you know use it readily (laughs) don't store it around a long time if you don't have to and cover it with a tarp's good advice i guess isn't it john for for right. for storage yeah well i promised we'd get to the holiday season so I, we've another segment's gone by we'll do it i promise right after this commercial break so we'll take a break talking to john creddy gardening with an altitude a friend of ours and i want you to give him a call 719-473-1240 we'll be right back well, if you're worried about high energy prices, natural gas you know keep, keeps going up and your heat bill, I know, is getting higher and higher. It may be because of your windows. Windows are one of the big wasters of energy if they're not good windows at your house. If you have ugly old wood, steel, or aluminum windows from bygone decades, I want you to call Dutch's Home Improvement. I've met with Gary, the owner of Dutch's, and I'm impressed with his commitment to quality and just good old-fashioned customer service. They have the best installers in town and only carry the top quality brands of windows, doors, and siding and patio covers they do it all but windows are a big deal so if you have ugly old windows you know you not only will you save energy by replacing them when you call dutches but your house will look more modern and updated so give them a call 719-392-1369 or dutcheshomeimprovement.com you need energy efficiency at your house if you have old windows you may be wasting 30 percent or more energy on your gas bill so give dutches a call 719-392-1369 fix it videos can be so confusing let ken moon walk you through it on around the house give him a call now at 719-473-1240 that's 719-473-1240 it's 23 minutes before the hour talking to john creddy gardening with an altitude expert on horticulture and gardening and We'll, t- we'll, we'll get right to it. I've been promising this. John, you have a rather famous recipe for preserving a natural Christmas tree. L- let's, r- let's run that out uh, again this year because it's easy and sounds, uh, you know, people just tell me it works. So l- go ahead. Have at it. No. Well, you know, Ken, I remember, and you probably do, when we were children, we, we always would cut a fresh, you know, a cut a Christmas tree in the forest and then bring it home and put it up uh i guess with time i don't do that any longer it's a lot of work but yeah. it's a lot of fun when you're young uh but when you bring it home the main thing is is to keep that 
tree uh, cut tree stump in water and make sure that it starts absorbing water right away. If you buy a tree from a Christmas tree lot, you need to recut the trunk uh, maybe two or three inches uh, more off of the bottom so you have a fresh cut that it'll absorb water in the tree stand. Now, the uh, the homemade Christmas tree preservative that I recommended over the years is very simple. It just uh, You take a gallon of warm water, and to that you add a cup of... Uh, light corn syrup and dissolve that and then a couple of tablespoons of liquid bleach so you're making your own little kind of uh, preservative type uh, tree uh, water there that you can put down that'll make that tree last and believe me it'll drink up uh, a gallon in a couple of days so you need to keep adding that as it needs it the only thing I do caution people is that if you have uh, pets that are curious, like a cat or a dog or puppies, uh, you want to make sure that you cover the tree stand so they don't go in there and start lapping up that water or anything like that because sure. it might be uh, toxic to them. So the bleach is sort of an antibacterial component to it, but the the, right. the corn syrup is the is the sugar the tree needs for to flourish, right? Right, that's right. Because most, as you know, most cut flower preservatives have a little bit of uh, sugar in them, or uh, just to sustain flowers so that they last longer in a vase. But it's the uh, you want the disinfectant in there to kind of help any mold or algae growing in there, so that the tree keeps those pores open. The the trunk keeps the pores open to suck up water. Now, you mentioned that because when you buy, say, a bouquet at King Supers, for instance, there's a little packet in there that you add to the water. Is that pretty much just just sugar in that packet or is there some other stuff in there too, John? Well, it is sugar, but it also has some uh, preservative in there as well to kind of keep bacteria from growing. So it has a, you know, kind of a, like a, what we call a disinfectant in there to keep uh Stuff, stuff growing because your leaves are in the water sometimes and you you don't want that junk to grow up there and uh, cause the flowers to get stale faster. So that's kind of the convenience of it. Some people use sugar in the place of corn syrup and that's entirely up to, uh, sure. to what you have around in the pantry. Now, um, you mentioned little pets and, and puppies and kitties and so on. Um, it is the, we still, is that, again, we back to old wives' tales, are poinsettias poisonous to uh to house pets because i've heard that over the years that it's not a big deal and it is a big deal what give us give us the break the tie on this for us john what's the story okay. there another good question because this comes up every time of the year and you're going to see all kinds of information poinsettias do produce uh, when you break a leaf off or a stem you know they have a white milky sap in them and that's uh that latex sap is is toxic but, you know, it would take a dog or a cat uh, out to have to eat a lot of that before it would cause any issues. Uh, you know, that's, that's the thing about it is that it, it is called, it, considered, I should say, toxic. But if you keep the plants out of the reach of children and pets, that shouldn't be a concern. And uh, I'm sure that the taste of it is going to repel most pets, if anything, because it is a sticky latex white sap that they shouldn't uh, get into as well. So uh, I, I think it's a myth that's been just glorified, and I wouldn't get too concerned about it. But uh, just for safety, especially with small children, keep it out of their reach. Yeah. That's the main thing. The, the, so it sounds to me like the sap or whatever you're talking, the, the milky stuff is not doesn't taste good, it sounds like. so. That's right. Yeah. yeah. 
and it's real sticky. If you, if you ever break a leaf off, you'll notice that. And it's, it's one of those plants we consider a bleeder. When you break a leaf or a stem off, it has to ooze that sap off to just uh, heal or close the wound. So, But, again, it would take, in studies that I remember at uh, Colorado State University, it would take an awful lot of plants to cause any significant uh, you know, damage to a pet or anything like that. Let's talk about houseplants this time of year. Uh, and and houseplants uh, are they're just a part of the plant kingdom and so there's nothing special they they like light and they they slow down in the winter time talk about house plants this time of year john do we need to worry about light do we need to water them less what do we need to do with our house plants other than just enjoy them well ken you bring up a very good point and during the winter months our days are shorter so we have less light coming in through our windows that houseplants need to adapt to that. So it's not unusual to have your houseplants, whether they're older ones or you bring a new one in, to try to acclimate to that uh, lack of duration of light. So they may lose a few leaves. Uh, They may have leaves that turn yellow, and that's just part of the plant adapting to the lack of light. And then as the days get longer in the spring, new growth will resume. So that's something you need to keep in mind. But a very important point to bring up now, and this goes back to the poinsettia, that when you buy them at this time of the year and the temperatures are outside or freezing or below, make sure that uh, the store clerk will wrap the plant in a uh, paper sleeve to protect it from the extreme cold temperatures from, you know, where you take it from the store and bring it out to the car because so many people will buy poinsettias at this time of the year and they get, they don't wrap them and they bring them to the car and then bring them to the house. And then within a day or two, they start dropping leaves and flower parts all over because of the rapid temperature change there. So you need to protect houseplants from real cold temperatures. Just a shock to the system, I guess, huh? Exactly. In fact, we had a friend over for Thanksgiving, a high school friend that uh, every year he brings down a poinsettia to the, to the house and he didn't wrap it he brought it uh, from the car to the you know from the store to the car and then to our house and this, it was in the 20 degree range and uh, sure enough uh, they're starting to drop some of its colorful bracts or, or flower parts and some of the leaves so just a reminder that goes for not just poinsettias but also for other house plants and and there are so many nice house plants now that are out there for the holidays like the big amaryllis flowers that you plant yes. the bulb and it sends up that big stock of, uh, uh, of flowers and such that it's a great idea to give to people that like plants. Yeah. And also cut flowers. If you're getting a bouquet for your dinner party and you want the hostess to have a nice bouquet, those need to be protected on the way to the car too, don't they? Right. But we don't think about that, but they really do have to be protected. Just that little short, maybe five or 10 minutes, in a cold environment, can cause uh, roses to lose their uh, leaves when you bring them in, or the flowers just don't open properly because of the sh- sudden shock from real cold temperatures. Now, you, you're saying plants do uh, adapt to the low light or the brief amount of light we have this time of year. Do they also need, if they're adapting and slowing down, do they need less water uh, this time of year or just about the same? Well, that's a very good point. Uh, again, very common sense uh, 
question here is that because plants aren't growing as rapidly with the lack of duration of light, they're not going to utilize as much water. So the old rule of thumb is, is poke your finger in that potting soil and test the moisture level. If it's feeling dry to the touch, then give it a good watering all the way through so water drains through the bottom of the pot into the drainage saucer. But then let the plant soil dry out between waterings because one of the biggest causes of houseplants dying is overwatering. Yes. You get on a schedule, some people say, well, it's, it's a Monday, I'm going to water my plants every Monday. Well, at this time of the year, you may not need to do that. You may want to let the plant go a little bit longer because it's not using as much moisture and it's not growing as rapidly. Same for fertilizer. We don't fertilize as frequently during the winter months because plants aren't utilizing that. So cut back on that uh, as well. Stick your finger how far down into the topsoil in, in a in a house plant? Well, a couple of inches, I would say, depending on the size of the pot. But get down there so you can feel if that soil is getting dry. Yeah. Uh, where the root system starts. So a couple of inches would be good. I usually say up to the second knuckle or so is a good way to tell. You know, speaking of, of, of low light, we'll take a break now. We're getting a little on the late for, side for taking this break. But when I come back, I want to talk about artificial lights for houseplants. And I, I've, I've been messing, experimenting a little bit with it. So we'll, we'll talk about that and whatever else is on your mind. 719-473-1240. Our guest is John Creddy. Gardening with an altitude. We'll be right back right here on Around the House. I want to talk to you about the above the rest garage door company ed who's the owner over there came over and got a tune-up going at my house a couple of weeks ago it was a painless experience i really enjoyed it because he doesn't mind me asking questions that sort of thing but he checked the door over lubricated adjusted it tightened nuts and bolts and kind of did a little just a little overlook of the just the whole system and said my door was fine but i joined that premier membership program so he'll be back in six months to make sure it stays fine above the rest has been around almost 30 years and their specialty is making sure your garage door is operating safely and efficiently and as it was designed and it's an amazingly inexpensive situation the above the rest membership i would encourage you to give them a call 719-499-0491 they'll come every six months tune up your garage door and make sure it's operating safely and operating as it's designed so you don't get stuck at home some morning above the rest give them a call 719-499-0491 got a fix it problem at your house ken moon is here to help Give them a call now at 719-473-1240. That's 719-473-1240. It's eight minutes before the hour. Welcome back. We're talking to John Creddy, gardening with an altitude expert, and we have Patrick on the line. Uh, let's get him uh, on the air, uh, Chris, and we'll, uh, Patrick, welcome to the program. You have a question for John? Yes, I do. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I have a uh, red maple tree in my backyard. It's probably about 20 feet tall, planted it about 12 years ago. And last year, I noticed that on the south side of it, uh, because it's exposed to the sun, the wood split. And I've read some different things. Some people say to paint it. Some people say leave it alone. And others say to wrap it. Well, I saw a video from CSU Extension Service about wrapping a tree. But this was a young one. But mine is older. So I'm wondering, uh, what's the best approach? Good, good point here, Patrick. Uh, and, and that's something that, uh, you know, Ken and I, we've talked about this, but when trees are young, the first few years they're in the landscape, 
thin bark trees like maple and fruit trees, you, we put a tree wrap around the trunk of the tree around Thanksgiving in the, in the late fall, and then you remove the tree wrap in the spring. Remember, Ken, we talked about that oh, on several occasions in the past. Yep, um, yep, I do. However, uh, Patrick, with a tree that's 12 years old, uh, you don't need to do that at this point because the bark is already mature. So it's not important to, uh, to wrap it at this point. And as a tree matures, if, as long as the bark isn't bleeding or in that area where the crack is, there isn't any oozing of sap or anything like that, just maintain the tree's health by proper care, deep watering during the growing season. If there's lack of snowfall in the wintertime and the temperatures are warm, do some winter watering uh, every maybe five or six weeks to maintain the health of the tree because maples are, uh, you know, they like moisture compared to some other species. But you don't need to wrap it at this point. And, and uh, the information you got from Colorado State is correct. It, this applies, the wrapping applies more to young uh, developing trees. Okay, so should I take the wrap off that I put on about a month ago or leave it on? Well, you, you really don't have to, Patrick. I mean, if it's on there already and, it, you know, you start at the bottom and wrap up to the first uh, side branch, it's not – I don't think Correct. you need to take it off. But in the future, uh, don't you don't have to do that down the road here as we get later on in the future. The, the bark is already on a 12-year-old or so tree. It's already mature that it's going to be able to resist any kind of sun scald injury uh, it, something else caused that maybe over the years. It could have been some tree damage. Uh, who knows what, what could have happened to cause that. But as long as there's no oozing of sap or enlarging of the crack, you should be fine. The tree should be fine. Very good. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. Patrick, thanks for your thanks for your phone call. Uh, speaking of trees, uh, John, uh, we're in the midst of winter here. It'd be fun to talk a little bit about what we should be thinking about and doing uh, in our yards. And so when you mentioned uh, winter watering, and um, uh, we could talk about that for a minute. We're still at a really low precipitation this winter so far. I've had a little snow, but well, you and I are big proponents, and you started me on this winter watering kick. So uh, talk about that just for a little bit. Well, it, it, when there's lack of moisture in the soil during uh, extended periods in the late fall and into early winter, as long as the ground is not frozen, we should go out when temperatures are, say, 45, 50 degrees or more and do some periodic winter watering. And it's very simple to do. You can hook up the garden hose and put a, a low profile like a frog eye sprinkler around the drip line of the tree. That's where the outermost branches are and where the roots are primarily located, and water for 20 or 30 minutes early enough in the day to allow the water to soak down. That's what we mean by winter watering. When temperatures are warm, the ground is not frozen. And we may do this every five or six weeks, depending on what kind of snowfall we get. If it's a a wet snow or if it's a dry snow, of course, that's not going to help get the roots watered deeply. So that's what we have to keep in mind on winter watering. And we do this as necessary uh, throughout that uh, season. So it all depends on Mother Nature and how sure. much uh, moisture we get. Sure, and, and don't forget the uh, your flower beds. If there's you know tulips and daffodils waiting to blossom this spring, they need a little drink once in a while, don't they? Oh, that, that very good point. If you don't water your perennials and you've just planted new bulbs or you have 
uh, tulip beds that have been in it a while, if they get too dry over the winter time, fall and winter season, they won't come up in the spring and bloom for you. They may uh, all the flowers may be uh, killed from the lack of moisture in their developing stages. So again, once again, every five or six weeks, check that. Go outside and check, particularly on the south and west exposure to yes. your home. That's where things dry out faster. Really quick, I had a guy uh, email me this week. I almost forgot. He wants to put winterizing fertilizer on his lawn, and I said, well, if the ground isn't frozen, I I said, go ahead, can't hurt. It's a little on the late side, but my question I had, is winterizing fertilizer kind of the same as what we put on in the summer, or is there really a difference versus just regular fertilizing? Well, there is a difference, Ken. A lot of the manufacturers now have changed their formulas. That we do have what they call a winterizer formula. It's not much different than the summer uh, one is. It may not have iron in it. It's just a little higher in nitrogen, for example. But as long as the ground is not frozen and you, you say you missed the uh, Thanksgiving application or Halloween or whatever, uh, you can still put it on. Just be sure that you water it in. And, uh, you know, it'll get down there and be a benefit because fall feeding does help support the crown and the root system of your Sure. John, we've come to the end of the hour. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise and time with us. We always appreciate it here on this end. And we, I want to say Merry Christmas to you and the, and the family, and we'll talk to you soon, okay? Well, thank you, Ken, for having me, and Merry Christmas to you as well. And uh, we'll talk with you again in the future. Do this again, maybe if you get closer to the spring start. You bet. Thank you, John. And thank you, Chris Moyer and Matt McKinley in the control room. We will see you next time. God bless. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next time right here on Around the House.